Welcome to the latest episode of Public Power Now. I'm Paul Champoli, APPA's News Director. Our guest on this episode is Jack Alvey, President and CEO of the Indiana Municipal Power Agency, which is a joint action agency. Jack started in his current role in April 2022, following the retirement of longtime IMPA President and CEO Raj Rao. Jack, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Paul. Uh, glad to be here today. So, Jack, wanted to start our conversation by giving you the opportunity to tell our listeners about what your priorities have been since you took over as president and CEO of IMPA in 2022. Sure. So I had been here 30 years at IMPA. Previously, I was the chief operating officer. So I did um, have a role and and a feel for what was already going on and the direction we were moving. So in that case, that was an advantage for me where really wasn't the person that was going to come in. We weren't going to make wholesale changes because our board was happy with the direction of of IMPA under Raja's um, leadership and, and me being COO. I was involved in executing quite a bit of uh, the things that we were doing at the time. But when I did move into the, the, the CEO role, I had to work on the organization of my leadership team. I had a couple unexpected retirements of some of those key people um, that, that kind of coincided with that uh, same time frame of uh, the transition to my new role. So uh, working through that took quite a bit of, of time, and we were able to do that with a lot of internal staff. So it gave some guys maybe the opportunities to move into, into a leadership role uh, sooner than they would have, but it was good that we had the prepared staff in place to be able to do that. And and it's really been good. That, that gave us a good youth movement or younger uh, generation moving into that because those are the guys that are going to have to lead IMPA in the future. And we also, with that, had kind of some unexpected other turnover in the 2022 20, timeframe like other people in the industry, there was just a lot of people changing jobs. So we were working to make sure we kept um, our key uh, managers, linemen, technicians, uh, roles filled when we had an increase in turnover. Some of the other things, um, we we were coming to the end of having our members uh, power sales contract, which is just the bedrock of, of the organization. We have our members have long-term uh, power sales contracts, and we have been working for two to three years to get the whole membership under the same contract extension. And um, over that last uh, year and a half, or my first year and a half in the role, we were able to finalize uh, the last several key members, one or two being some of our largest members, uh, to have the 30-year power sales uh, contracts in place moving forward. So that was also uh, took took a lot of focus um, and work to get that done. The other piece then was in 2022, when inflation really started taking off and the natural gas prices um, were starting to be high at the end of 2021, and then they were high all through 2022, uh, we had to get our rates uh, to our members in the right place. We were We were probably not there and weren't ready for uh, gas prices that were 60-some percent higher uh, than they were the previous year. So that was that, that put some, a lot of explanation, discussion, and, and we were able to get those rates in the right place. 
to keep our tracker or energy cost adjustment levels in, in the right place moving forward. And, and we're in a really good spot uh, with that now. Uh, finally, I'd, talk, I'd say it's the energy transition going on across the country um, and its effects on there's dwindling reserve margins that are out there due to do some of the shutdowns of some of the coal units um, or a lot of the coal units in the country. And um, what that's caused is there's a lack of, of available market capacity where if we wanted to go out and buy capacity from the market, um, the markets have been volatile uh, and, and those supplies just really haven't been there. So we've really had to focus on what's the best decision for the agency moving into the future to make sure that we have the capacity that we need and also to keep the reliability portion of our three-legged uh, mission of low-cost, reliable, and environmentally responsible power supply. And that really looks like we'll probably end up having to build something ourselves, which isn't differ differing from what our history has been. We've always been an agency that's um, taken things into our own hands and either owned and operated or owned jointly most of our generation resources. So two quick follow questions, if I could. So with respect to the idea of building something, is that something that's um, kind of tentatively in the plans at this point? Do you guys have any clarity as to what, what that would look like? We are in the, we have our integrated resource plan that we have to file with the Indiana Commission every three years. That's due February 1. Uh, we've we've been working on that. We actually are working on it, not just once every three years. We're probably working on it every week in in the in between time frame. And what that looks like is that we're going to need a peaking resource to fill that capacity void that isn't there. We did um, an RFP for the capacity. Um, we were able to find something that was kind of a shorter term availability that um, may have, it, it really wasn't in the market that we needed, but we think we can move it to the to the market that we need, but that wasn't going to be there for a lo the long term, which is what, what we do. We want to make long-term decisions and have the stability that those uh, provide. So it looks like we'll be doing, we'll be attempting or uh, requesting to do a peaking unit, which we'll have to go to the, our state for a certificate of need to do that um, uh, in, in the host of other development approvals and, and things you have to work through on that. Really what we we wanted to balance was what can we do that's going to fit into the regulatory regime or world that we see in front of us and and then but also not do something that's going to be stranded due to that risk that that we really don't know what can happen uh, due to the politics in the country. But when you when you see these cold weather events that come, and 80 to 85 percent of the whole country's uh, power supplies being supplied by dispatchable resources. We know we have to have that as part of our mix. We can't rush too fast in the transition and not pay attention to what um, we have to have to meet our uh, reliability of our power supply. I mean, one of the things that that seems to emerge from from what you what you just talked about overall is a, a degree of unpredictability and volatility, whether it's the kind of the swings in, in natural gas prices and access to, to market capacity and a degree of volatility there. So, I mean, are there 
what are the ways in which IMPA is kind of actively working to kind of mitigate or address the, that volatility? So we want to have a diverse portfolio. Our portfolio is mixes changed from in the 80% coal range to about the upper 50s, 57% today. And through our power purchase agreements, we have some nuclear there um, as part of that, about tw- over 20% of our supply. Um, natural gas is a, is a smaller piece, about 6% of our supply, but our renewables have grown. We're about 13% now of our overall supply from renewables. So we also know that gas can be a problem and, and we've seen gas may not be available. So when we when we do look at our capacity resources and you look at capacity accreditation that the market uh, markets are giving now, we have to have that accreditation go across in the instant. And for instance, MISO has a four season uh, market. So in the winter, the solar's maybe worth 2% of what its nameplate is, whereas in the summer, it may be 40 to 50%. So we, we we're going to have to rely on probably a dual fuel. And many of our CTs, five of the seven, do have a fuel oil backup so that they are there at the time when maybe gas isn't available, the oil is. Um, and we've had to use that. We've had to use that capability over the last two years when we've had these these cold snaps. Um, but we also, you know, we're we're looking at the renewable piece. We're continuing to grow um, our solar. We have a large um, site that we're actually just doing a, a power purchase agreement from, which varies from our own um, in-house developed solar that we've been doing since 2014. So we'll have 150 megawatt site there coming online probably by the end of 2025. So we're still moving in the transition. But we we want to make it where this it makes sense for us and it's reliable and, and real things. We we don't really want to just put up goals to to be aspirational um, for things that may not be uh, prudent or possible uh, for our members. So you mentioned renewables and more specifically um, solar energy. So I wanted to use that as kind of a jumping off point to my next question, which is, you know, as you know, in, in November of last year, IMPA officials participated in the ribbon cutting for a solar park in uh, Knightstown, Indiana, which is IMPA's 50th constructed solar park in the state. Can you offer additional details on the way in which IMPA is helping its member communities pursue solar? The IMPA board in 2013 approved moving forward with just some demonstration projects for solar because we we saw solar coming costs were coming down um and thought it was we sh- we should see what we can do with that and how it performs so we were able to do that we brought those first three demonstration projects online in 2014 successfully and and under under budget the the costs kept coming down even though solar modules which are 35 to 40 percent of your overall cost for a solar installation have they've seen increases and decreases we're actually at a at a low low point now again for solar module prices but we, we've been able to do that for the 10 years to to build up to those 50 sites and our members really have assisted they they like having the solar and having it visible in the town they've helped us with getting the land. So in some of the locations out of out of 50 locations you know you can say there's double digit number where the of those where the the city or town came with 
with land that may have been government um, owned at that point. And in those cases, our investment where it brings the property taxes to the locality, even though we're a tax exempt agency, we still have to pay property taxes on the equipment that we install. Um, that's just part of the enabling legislation that was passed in Indiana when IMPA was created. So that brings that value to them. But for gov- for the ones that bring the uh, land that was owned by the government that was previously not on the tax rolls, that brings that land onto the tax rolls for them. So it's kind of like a double advantage for them for our solar being there. But they they love to have the ribbon cuttings and have the the notoriety of it. We have regular requests to bring the schools in and we bring school classes uh, through the site. I have the technical staff there and engineers to explain the solar operation, answer all their questions. We also have, so for instance, of those solar projects in, in my three largest members out of our 50 sites, I do have uh, six, eight, and and five solar parks, respectively, in those three largest member communities. So have a lot of megawatts there, but where the load is is where we can bring the solar because we put our solar on the distribution system so it's behind the meter, and we can put more there because we don't want to push back out into the transmission system. So there's the load there to, to absorb the solar uh, generation that we put in place. We also have a program in the member uh, communities where they're retail customers who are electing to install solar at their house or business for that. We call that self-generation or self-generation program. And we buy the excess power um, from them. Ideally, they're better off sizing it for their own usage because then they're offsetting the whole retail rate um, with their solar generation. But if they are oversized and then they push power back out into the member system, we have a power purchase agreement between IMPA and the retail customer where we buy um, that excess power from them on each metering increment that they do push out. So so they are getting some um, revenue similar to what a wholesale generator would that's participating in the market um, for their excess uh, power generation. Jack, as I was um, preparing for this interview, one of the things that jumped out at me as I dug deeper into IMPA's operations is the Joint Action Agency's planning and operations staff, which, which as you know, it on your website, not only handles uh, the daily operations of the agency, but also assists member communities with a variety of services as well. So against that backdrop, I want to know if you could offer additional details on the variety of ways in which IMPA's planning and operations staff help member communities. Yeah, so besides besides being our members power supplier when when IPA was created in the um in the 84 83 uh 1983 time frame really the focus was you're our power supplier you provide the transmission and 100% of the power supply and we'll do everything else. Well, over time as the industry has changed the technology has changed. Uh, things are much more um, higher technology today than than they were, say, in the in the eighties. We've become more of a key service provider for the members as well, and that's really not. It's not just been driven from IMPA to the members. It's it's the members serving their needs and uh, and what they need. So, some of the things that we've done, we've created uh, the IMPA 
Service Corporation, which is kind of a standalone entity. It's still IMPA, but it's it's a not-for-profit and it's funded uh, based on the projects that they do for the members who want to come to them and subscribe for certain work. That was created in 2001, but primarily just for engineering projects for members that needed you know, a design of a, of a line upgrade or, or a new line or a substation. And they really didn't have an in-house engineering staff because they were small. Maybe they had contracted that uh, to other engineering firms, but those, those service providers, they kind of consolidated probably over time and there wasn't the availability and the prices were high. And, and there was the need that if IMPA can do this for them, that they would use it. And so we started out just doing engineering, uh, but then that went into, hey, if you're engineering and designing this, can you build it? So we ended up starting um, a couple crews that were really just doing construction projects for the members, you know, on these types of projects within their distribution systems. And then, then that morphed into towns having problems keeping linemen um, on staff where they may have had one lineman in the town and they get somebody, they get their journeyman certification and then they, they leave and the towns just couldn't keep it staffed. They may not have, they may not have had enough work for one full-time journeyman or for a full-time line crew. And so what we also then created is what we call the IMPA service corporation dedicated services group that contracts with a, a town or city, and we're their line department. So we have um, an east region and a west region and have the crews there, um, and that's grown to 15 members now that um, we are their line department. We do all the operation and maintenance um, for those communities. We do the emergency calls, and that's that's been a very uh, much a growing thing for the, the towns as they deal with retirements and trying to fund their own line department. Also within that group, in the dedicated services, kind of an offshoot has been creating an AMI program. Some of the members, some of the larger members may have had AMI on their own, but some of the medium and small size members um, wanted AMI. And we looked at what could we do to help them. And we were able to create an AMI program where IMPA pays for and has has all the hosting for the uh, system here at IMPA. And we get a much better rate than they could get individually. So it's kind of, all this stuff is kind of joint little mini joint action projects that they participate in. And then they get that value um, of economies of scale of contribute or, um, or being part of a larger group. So they, They've come together and we have 17 um, AMI members now that participate together so that they get that lower hosting cost fee. They end up paying for their own. They pay for the meters themselves, but, um, but IMPA runs the, the system that's behind all the uh, AMI and, and all the um, analytics and things that it provides to those members. We, we, have, we have a list of other things um, that we provide. Um, I'd probably start with government relations at the state and federal level. Um, what this does is we actually also bring in 
In Indiana, there's 72 municipal electric utilities. 60 of those um, are members of IMPA. We have one member that's in Ohio, so that's how we have the 61 members. But um, those 72 members are municipal utilities in Indiana, um, the 60 plus the 12. We come together um, on the legislative side, and we have them participate in our legislative committee uh, with the IMPA members so that coming from Indiana, we're talking um, as one from the public power voice, which that's that's really good when we talk to our legislators so that they know um, where public power is coming from and that there aren't different entities saying different things to them. So that, that's been a, a very good uh, process, and, and that's something that we've really just put together here in the last um, six months to a year to bring everybody uh, back together on the government relations side. On the communications and marketing, our members really appreciate this one, too, where we have um, a couple different publications where one of them goes to our members, larger customers um, and commercial customers and um, other key uh, suppliers. It's called the IMPA Wire. So we we provide them news articles on what's going on in the industry um, and with their utility there and IMPA, um, what's going on at IMPA. And then also one that goes directly to their retail customers uh, three times a year. And the members kind of drive the content in that. So they, they like being able to, to provide the, the customers with things going on in the town. And this doesn't just have to be electrical. It can be, what's, what are we doing with the parks? What are we doing with roads, sewers, water? They, they like that. And then the social media piece that we've started over the last several years where we publicize or promote things that are going on in the member communities um, and work with them on that. That's been another um, growing thing on the social media focus for us. We also have energy efficiency program in place where commercial and industrial devices that are that are being upgraded, um, we provide um, some support with rebates uh, for that equipment. And we also, finally, I'd mentioned a green power program where if uh, the members' customers want to buy a portion or even all of their power as what's considered renewable. We have a program there where there's a small adder and we supply them with um, that portion um, that they that they would need. So one of the things that jumped out at me in terms of what you just talked about is the, the notion of IMPA effectively serving as a, a line department for, for the member communities. So if you're a joint action agency that perhaps hasn't developed a, a similar relationship with member communities, I guess maybe one of the things that may be going through their minds is what, what's how heavy of a lift is this to kind of get this up and running? Can you talk to that? That's a good question because there's you know, you have to have when you make an investment in in that equipment, you you know, you're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars in right. in line trucks right off the bat. You've got to you got to get a staff, which you know the journeyman linemen, apprentice linemen, very um, hard to come by um, these days. It's it's a high demand position across the industry. So to start out, I, I guess we may have had the advantage because we kind of started out with that small smaller group when we were just constructing lines, and and we were able to build into it. 
as opposed to if somebody just wanted to say, you know, plop in and say, I have a line department today. Yeah. So we probably had the advantage of um, evolving into it as opposed to starting it. But but then you have to look at how can I utilize these resources and we're able to utilize them across, you know, maybe six or eight different towns by pl- by putting the, the relocation in the right place so that the response time is adequate. We actually, you know, our longest response time, we probably have a two plus hour drive. But when I have one member that's sitting out there um, on their own, like the lone outpost, I can't remember the Kevin Costner movie where he was sent to the lone outpost, but, right. but so that one's, you know, that one's tough. And then to get a new member to sign up to say, Hey, I want to be part of it, but he's the guy with the two hour drive. So we really have to focus on making sure that, that we get that right. And we, we can't afford to send somebody two hours, um, for, for, for nothing. So you have to really evaluate it. That's where the AMI comes in helpful to be able to analyze a little bit before you send somebody, but also you got to be there because if you're not there, they're hearing it from the customers. And, and that's, you know, one of the things about public power is, is we respond, we're local, and we get the power back on um, quicker than what our competitors um, would be. But, but back to your question, it is definitely a a decision if you're making to do. You really need to look at your at your investment costs and, and how you're gonna how you're gonna cover those. So you, you need to have a, a good subscription um, in place with to be able to do that to make sure the revenue streams there. And and all, when we were just doing construction, we did have it was pretty tight. When you're just doing construction and waiting for a member to come, for the members to come and say, "Hey, I have a project," because with that that goes from you know more of like a batch type approach to having a continuous process, which gives you the continuous revenue stream of like our dedicated services does. Economic development. That's as you know always top of mind, whether you're a joint action agency or for that matter, you know, uh, a public power utility. So wanted to give you the chance to talk about the ways in which IMPA is helping its member communities um, with economic development. When I was listing the services that we did, I, I purposely didn't go into economic development when I was talking about the services, because this one's a big service um, all on its own. And and thought we would maybe get into this one uh, by itself, but in general, when you look at our economic development program, we divide that into three different areas of project support and site development and marketing, um, and but but and also education. Under the project support, we have a economic development rider um, rate or rebate, I'll call it, where if um, a member's trying to get a new project in town. And if that load's going to be a megawatt and a million dollar investment minimums, that we have a rate reduction um, on the IMPA portion of the rate of the wholesale power supply to the member um, over a five-year period. So that that's that's helpful for a, for a new customer or an existing customer that's expanding. We also do things with estimating um, infrastructure requirements for new projects and lead times. Um, we provide data to our members um, through a couple different um, services that we, the IMPA pays for and the members can use. Um, we have a impact dashboard 
that's more of a, it provides an economic um, impact report for these projects that are on, that are being looked at. Um, and that helps the members if they're going to say, oh, maybe we should give a tax abatement or how much tax abatement would make sense um, for this type of project. We also have another one called Jobs EQ software, and, and that helps our members that that may not have some of the demographic data uh, or other types of uh, questions from maybe EIA data, all these things that they have to do when they're responding to an RFI from a customer that may be coming in or, or looking at them as a possible location. And this helps the member be able to populate this data um, in their RFI response. On the site development and marketing, we do site certification um, at times when there's requests. Uh, we do drone um, aerial photography for the members. Um, and that's on that's a per request. IMPA provides that as a service that we pay for. Uh, we do digital mapping where this can be more as opposed to the drone, the digital mapping can be all the other infrastructure that's that's there at the site, whether it be drainage, sewer, water, um, those types of things. We pay for that for a member that requests it. Um, we also organize then sales trips for our and take um, the interested members that where we where they meet with site selectors and prospective companies, and that's a um, a couple times a year that we do that. On the education piece, we about every couple of years we do a mystery shopper event for the members, and and this is one where the member says, "Yeah, I'd like to do that." So then uh, we do come as a um, an anonymous shopper of a site, and then that way the member can test their own economic development uh, performance for this mystery shopper, even though it's not real, but it, it kind of tests them, and that that's always been um, a good thing for. The members that are trying to get better in that area. We host a, a host of workshops. We have workshops every month here at INPA with varying topics. Um, and then finally, we provide uh, scholarships for there's in-state economic development courses. Uh, Ball State University hosts these on an occasional basis. So when we have members that have ED staff that uh, would like to attend, we we give them a kind of a matching contribution as part of their as part of their fee for those conferences. Well, Jack, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with us today. There's lots of topics that I would say are, are ripe for revisiting um, in the future. So, in that context, would love to have you back, and perhaps sometime next year we can talk about this and, and other activities that IMPA is is involved with. Yeah, that that would be great, Paul. And um, it's been a pleasure being able to talk to you today and talk to you about IMPA. Um, we're, we're proud of what we do here and have a really good um, membership um, and, and strong support in Indiana for public power. Jack, Jack, thanks again for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Public Power Now, which was produced by Julio Guerrero, graphic and digital designer at APPA. I'm Paul Schimpoli, and we'll be back next week with more from the world of public power.